0: Rico Higuain, a hopeful service header goal. Miami steals it at the death. Indiana Vasilev, his first Major League Soccer goal. And it may be the final touch of this match.
1: Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. Wes is out this week, second time already this season, Wes, get it together. So I bring in as good a guest host as possible, 440 Sports owner, Braden Gall.
0: How are you, Tim? I am not well, but I'm really happy to be here. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff on the show. As Wes normally says, we've got Early Shout, we've got some gold nuggets, we've got Embrace Consensus Outside In and Final Whistle, all the great stuff that you guys normally get. And by the way, of course, special thanks to, to Moon Taxi and ESPN 94.9 for uh, getting us started here today like we do each and every show. Maybe even a couple of rants, Tim. Maybe, <laughs> just maybe a couple of rants, which I know is out of character for the show. But, uh, you know, that's my job is to, to be out of character. So that's my job here. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, Nashville wrapped up its three-match week with a serious feeling of disappointment, and I get the vibe that one of those rants is going to be about this topic. So <laughs> a, a midweek rotation to keep the top talent fresh for the Sunday matchup with a team who had been at the bottom of the
0: MLS Eastern Conference it is a gamble that really didn't pay off for the boys and Gold. I, I just, I don't know about you, Tim. I, I, I see C.J. Sapong stay hot and do something technically really impressive off of a Hani Mukhtar cross off the uh, off of a, a corner early in the second half against Miami on Sunday I watched you know you're, you're you're kind of buoyed by a showing against New England on Wednesday the best team in the Eastern Conference with I don't know how many six starters not playing mm-hmm. and I know we're going to talk a little bit later on about how Renale al Hani Mukhtar and CJ Sapong have played together because they came in the last 25 minutes of that game against New England and you could see the energy levels change so you sort of felt really good about how that game ended, even though it was just a point. You take the lead early in the second half against the worst team in the Eastern Conference. And it is just unacceptable to me. If you are going to be considered one of the better teams in this conference and in this league, which is what we all think this this club should be, there is no excuse for losing to Miami the way that you did. Mm-hmm. To just make a just stupid mistakes, just... Just garbage. I don't even. I don't even have words for the Eric Miller touch. Like I don't even have words right. for that. And then of course, it's not really Dax and and uh, Alibaba's fault that they. I mean, they lost. They lost their. They, you know, they lost their yeah. mark there on the cross. And like it just, it is what it is when you're in the 95th minute. Yonder Cadiz can't control the the ball at any point during the game. Uh, I know I'm overreacting here, but it's just. It yeah. Was just, it was just bad, man. And I could. It was so tough to watch. I was watching the race. I did the race thing. I went to the Grand Prix. I came back home. I sat down to watch the soccer match and I just got more angry as the second half went along, even though it was <laughs> thoroughly entertaining, by the way.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm generally the more level headed type of observer of this team. And I think there's really no counter argument for this being probably the most disappointing outcome of any contest because of the way it played out because Nashville had a lead. Um, they hadn't given up a lead to lose so far this year. They'd given up a lead to draw once so far this year. And the way it happens, uh, a player losing his mark, a, a weird quick restart, you know, the, the sort of small mistakes that you usually don't see from this team. And like you mentioned, um, John had had a real rough outing. <laughs> we'll talk quite a bit about that uh, later on in the show, too.
0: Yeah. And I, you wrote about this, I think, of course, clubandcountryusa.com is the website. Go check it out. Um, but I know you wrote about it as well, though. Those. Those two guys, Eric Miller and Yonder Cadiz, not exactly mm-hmm. um, catching the the wonderful thoughts and prayers on Twitter right now. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll get to that in a little bit as well. We'll, we'll of course, uh, we'll dive into some of the numbers behind Nashville's rotation um, and sort of what the home road splits tell us about this team. We'll do some of that. Of course, uh, embrace consensus coming up. What personnel changes needed to improve this team's fortunes? And then as we mentioned already, people asking, clamoring, Tim, for your opinions about cadiz what's going on (laughs) so we'll get to all of that of course coming up on the show today as well and i've got another rant that's not my only rant of the show i've got another one coming too
1: he comes on the show as a guest and he brings the goods folks
0: (laughs) well well, i'm I'm like i'm not sure how far above replacement i am but not very high i'm like i'm basically a replacement level player uh that plays in midweek games that's that's what i am All right, Tim, let's get to early shouts here on the show. Nashville SC, as you mentioned, played three games in eight days and came away with two points. A draw in New England makes sense. You could argue that they played relatively well over their skis in that situation, Mm -hmm. especially considering the starting lineup that Gary Smith deployed. Uh, But taking just one point between the games at Toronto and at Miami at the time, Miami was the worst team in the league, and I think now Toronto is. <laughs> so, Exactly, um, yep. It, those are two of the worst teams in the league. Uh, it's a major problem for this club. Yeah, and all three of them were on the road, where the average MLS team averages
1: under a point per game, so that adds some crucial context. But early in the year when Nashville had played at New York Red Bulls, at Atlanta, at, a, at Columbus, those are all really tough places to play. You could say, okay, they're going to make up for those points when they have more games on the road and when more of those games are against the bottom of the table. And that may still happen, but Miami in particular was the opportunity to make up some of those points because Miami had been at the bottom of the table and they were one of the worst home teams in the entire league. Um, that was only their second home win all year, even though they've played a normal home schedule. So it's been pretty tough to, to kind of swallow, particularly the Miami result.
0: Well, and, and I, I sort of glanced at their record against the worst teams in, in the league. They're four, mm-hmm. one and five against the worst five teams, the bottom third of the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. They're 4-1-5. If you add the New York Red Bulls and Montreal into that, who are both non-playoff teams currently as we record this on Tuesday, 4-2 and 6 both losses, which is still the number it's still the best number in in the MLS. They're still the team with the fewest losses, but they are 4-2 and 6 against the bottom, which means they're getting their wins, but they're they're also they're also losing games to the bottom of the table too. So, um, some of that scheduling, some of that's the home road mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you make of that, but you just got to start collecting points when you're playing awful teams. It's not much more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, and some of it is is like a matter of simple bad luck. Toronto had been really bad at home, but they'd been playing all their home games in Florida. As soon as they got back to Canada, they're undefeated at home, I'm pretty sure, on north of the border. So some of the context there is important too, but at the same time, This Nashville SC team was moments away from being number two in the table um, just a few days ago, and that's obviously not the case anymore. They're down to a fifth in the table now, and I think that if you look at what this team has been capable of at certain points in the year, including a win over New England earlier in the year, a win over Philadelphia Union earlier in the year, yes, both at home, but... If you're capable of, of beating those teams anywhere, you've got to be capable of beating Miami, Toronto, um, possibly. You know, the draw against New England adds a little bit of a, a silver lining to that. But the bad teams have to be beatable no matter where
0: you play them. Yeah, yeah, no question. In fact, uh, I blame the other person who's north of the border right now. And and that's the guy normally sitting in this chair, Wes. I'm just going to blame <laughs> Wes for all of this week's performance from from the boys in gold. Muktar for another corner kick. Sends it in towards the edge of the six. A header and a goal. CJ Sapong. A kiss off the crossbar. And the boys in gold ignite. And they just love to torment their expansion rival. Miami Rocks. And Nashville leads 1-0 in the 48th minutes. All right, let's get to some golden nuggets here, if you sh- if if we can here uh, personnel rotation for the club. The midweek match, of course, against New England. We saw, I thought, a perfect opportunity to get Ake Loba his first start. I thought that was his first MLS start. Dax McCarty, I thought he did a wonderful job. Not on the soccer field. <laughs> yeah, he was in the broadcast booth. There's uh, a couple of stories up. Yep, I I love that man. I thought he I thought he did a really good job. I thought he did a really good job. So a lot of. Uh, personnel rotation stuff here, of course, uh, in, in that midweek match. Uh, Yonder Cadiz got his first start since May. Taylor Washington, in, of course, a, a USL favorite. Matt Lagrassa, another USL favorite. Alex Muil as well in the starting lineup.
1: Yeah, all, all of that was pretty much to keep Hani Mukhtar, CJ Sapong, and Randall Leal fresh for the weekend game. And that really doesn't seem like it worked out exactly like you would have hoped because those three guys did start against Miami. And quite frankly, Nashville has a reputation for playing up to the top opposition and down to the lower opposition. And that that kind of manifested itself over this uh, course of that, especially two game stretch that New England draw and then the loss to Miami. The lower uh, I don't want to say lower caliber personnel, but the guys that aren't the entrenched starters performed pretty well against New England. And then when you put the entrenched starters back into the game, It just doesn't ring quite the same. And I I don't know if those guys felt a little rusty because they'd watched a little bit too much or if they were tired from each getting about half an hour in the New England game. But something wasn't right, certainly in the first half.
0: It's it's very strange because what's interesting is I thought they did a great job defensively against New England where Mm -hmm. New England had a few chances, but most of them came from outside the box, right? They did a great job, I think, of packing it in and sort of Keeping those dangerous chances from taking place. We saw a lot more of that from Miami. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, as I've already mentioned, I thought when, when, when Hani Mukhtar, CJ Sapong and Randall Leal came off the bench, I felt like there was a different Nashville SC team against New England, which was obviously part of the plan. They just didn't capitalize on the plan on, on Sunday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the tail of the two halves, obviously the first half was pretty much exclusively the guys that were the best available lineup and there were changes made at halftime. But despite playing that top lineup from the beginning, Nashville really struggled in creation for the first half. There are 0.06 expected goals. That's essentially a 6% chance of scoring a goal based on the, um, you know, the long range kind of view of how all of every shot that's ever been taken in MLS essentially has has averaged out. So that's really tough. That did change in the second half. Nashville got 0.58 expected goals, so about 58% chance. But only CJ Sapong's header managed to go in, and Yannick Caddis' missed header was a basically a 33% chance, a, a 0.33 expected goal attempt per Opta, and that's something that you know you mentioned at the top that fans are not particularly happy, happy with Caddis. And when you have a wide open header to potentially win a game, and then not only um, does it basically go down as a complete air ball, but your team then manages to go down and give up the winner at the other end. It's really tough. And Cody's is a guy who I think fans have been a little bit unfair to over the course of his time in Nashville. He's been fairly productive compared to his teammates. But when that happens, that's really tough. And, um, you know, kind of going back to the expected goals thing defensively, both teams kind of picked up the pace offensively and de- defensively Miami was able to kind of take it to Nashville a little bit more. They had a, a 0.18 XG at the half and they got all the way to 1.4 for the game. So they were far more prolific in each half. And uh, obviously in the first half that was matters of a very tiny degrees as the game Uh, was scoreless at the half. But Miami definitely, I think, was a deserved winner, unfortunately, according to the expected goals.
0: I I mean, if they had held on for a win or Cadiz puts that home, Mm -hmm. I I think we look at the second half and we go, that was a very entertaining style of play. Like, It was was very up and down, very back and forth. And you can deal with that when you pull out the win against a bad team like Miami. So Mm -hmm. uh, we we shall see more on Cadiz. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) More on Cadiz. Uh, in just that a
1: a, uh, sorry? Since Wes isn't here,
0: is that a cut tease? Yes, <laughs> thank you. I, I don't. I don't have the same dad pun chops as uh, as Wes does, and so I do. Pre- I, I do appreciate that. That was a cut tease. There you go. Uh, coming up on the program, more golden nuggets. Yeah, the Mukhtar Sapong, they all chemistry has really hit another level. Both of them are playing.
1: Uh, both Mukhtar and Sapong are playing as as advanced forwards, and they've connected. For their fourth goal of the season, and all of them have been over the course of the past month, Um, Sapong assisted Mukhtar in the 5-1 win against the Chicago Fire. Back on July 17th, Mukhtar assisted Sapong twice in the 3-0 win over FC Cincinnati. And then, of course, as we've already mentioned, Sapong nodding home a Mukhtar corner kick to get the scoring going on Sunday evening. And Sapong also scored unassisted against the fire with kind of a Kobe assist from Randall Layal uh, off the post and and right onto uh, Sapong's foot. And he assisted Layal in the FCC game. So aside from the big three, who we've really been talking about being such an important piece of this team, the only players to get on the score sheet are Brian Nunga, who scored late in the chicago game assisted by dylan Nealis and robert castellanos in his first and and to date only mls appearance early in the toronto game he was assisted by a dave romney long throw and then dan lovitz got the assist on one of Mukhtar's goals against chicago so that's a lot of reliance on three guys eight goals and five assists between sapong Mukhtar, and Leal, and just two goals and three assists for every other nashville player combined now does nashville need more production from elsewhere or does it need more playing time for the big three obviously we've talked about how those guys not being on the field against New England could have potentially cost the boys in gold a point. So you could kind of make make an argument for either direction that maybe they were rested and and were able to connect on that on that corner kick goal. What I do think is there has to be more scoring from somewhere if Nashville is going to kind of. Um, I don't want to say regress, but, but get back to playing slightly more slog, slog fest type games like we saw a little bit more of last year. They can't sit there and suffer through those if they're not going to get the scoring in timely moments. And while they did get one score in a timely moment, obviously uh, th- those three were no longer on the field. Or all three of them were not on the field anymore by the time Cotty's missed his chance and by the time um, Miami came down and made Nashville pay for it.
0: Well, I I think the answer to that question, which we'll get to a little bit later on coming up in just a few minutes on the show also was on the serving end of the Cadiz Mm -hmm. missed header there. Uh, So we can, because that was a brilliant play to set up Mm -hmm. the opportunity for Cadiz, but we'll get to, we'll get to him in just a second. Uh, So uh, up next, of course, no midweek game. Uh, Then we've got a 6 PM. We're coming back home. Uh, The the boys in gold are back home. There's not too many of them left. Uh, 6 PM, of course, Nissan stadium against DC United. Um, This is a team that's there in sixth place. And there, this is a five versus six as we record this. This is a fifth versus sixth place matchup at Nissan Stadium. And coming off a bad week, critical situation for the boys in gold.
1: Yeah, D.C. has been pretty bad for a couple of years. Ever since Wayne Rooney left midseason a couple of years ago, they've been pretty awful. Um, They made a coaching change this offseason, and it's kind of a renaissance on their new coach, Renan Mosada. As you mentioned, they're up to six in the Eastern Conference table. But their plus six goal differential is tied for fourth in the conference so they're kind of underachieving their their goal differential a little bit now some of that is they had a 7-1 <laughs> win over over <laughs> toronto that that led to the firing of their coach that'll definitely build up that explains the entirety of that plus 6 goal differential in fact but the advanced numbers actually think that all of that still slightly underrates them. They're third in the East in expected gold differential. As you know, as we mentioned, that's kind of the the probability based on past events that goals will go in or, or not go in. Their goalkeeping has let them down a little bit. They've had good goalkeeping in the past from Bill Hamid um, hasn't really kind of come through like that way this year. So we'll see if it's it's a flash in the pan or if, or if Nashville is going to have a tough task cut out for them. This is Definitely a team that was remade in in Losada's image. He has obsessive attention to fitness and he's playing a lot of young talent like U.S. men's national team prospects Moses Nyman and Kevin Paredes, who are um, both teenagers getting a ton of time for this club. And I think it's something that national team fans should be really excited about. Nashville fans should be maybe a little bit wary about seeing some of these top prospects going forward.
0: Oh, the joy of the game that uh, is international versus club play. That's that's the beauty of the sport. Uh, Rooting Mm -hmm. for someone that is scoring against your own team. Uh, (laughs) So there you have it coming up. Huge match on Sunday evening, 6 p.m. again against D.C. United. All right, let's embrace some consensus. Tim, what do you say, bud? Let's do that on, uh, on the program here. What does Nashville need to do to change personnel wise to get back on the right side of the ledger? Tim, where are you going
1: here? I think first things first, it is important to remember that the Miami game is just one game. You can be disappointed about the Toronto game and maybe a little encouraged by the New England game, but sky isn't falling. So let's make sure we have that out of the way first. But the thing that Nashville needs to do is pretty obvious. They need to get Walker Zimmerman and Alistair Johnson back healthy. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of control that, that Gary Smith has over those situations, but the defensive breakdowns have, have kind of hit a level that we didn't see at all last year. And Of course, defensive set pieces have been an issue basically the entire time Walker Zimmerman has been unavailable since um, the birth of his son, and then he departed for the Gold Cup. Got hurt at the Gold Cup, so he's been out of the lineup for quite a while. And then we saw how important Johnston can be when his replacement Eric Miller uh, really didn't perform up to Johnston's level on Sunday evening.
0: Hey, he's he's turned into a a really really important piece to this team long term as they move mm-hmm. forward. Uh, and I know you've you've had some thoughts about Zimmerman as as they've evolved over yeah. time. Uh, I think I think that's it's okay for people's opinions to, to be tweaked and to change over time as new information comes to light. I think that's okay. And and I think and I applaud you, Tim, on your on your evolution on, on Walker Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have some personal growth from time to time, isn't it? <laughs> every, uh, every now and then. What about the formation?
1: Yeah, I do think that it makes the most sense for Nashville to go back to a 4231 formation. And it's not because um, the defense isn't, isn't succeeding anyway when they're in the, this kind of 5-3-2 formation that they've gone to. It's been okay. Uh, obviously, the both goals against Miami probably were more about personnel than formation. But the issue that I see without this 4-2-3-1 is that they don't have the same sort of ability to play offense the way that they would like to. Um, we saw in the first half against Miami that Nashville couldn't force the action out of a Miami team. I was really content to pass it around the back and play for a draw Nashville couldn't press them in the ways that would have allowed for some transition opportunities when they had kind of a defensive formation out there. It's kind of ironic because it, because they had a defensive formation out there, they had more trouble defending in a way that, that allowed them to get the ball back. And I think that wastes your top offensive personnel. Now I don't want to go too far with that. They all moved Sapong have been very good since moving to the three, five, we just talked about that quite a bit, but at the same time, you need to find ways when an opponent, wants to keep the ball away from those three, I think the 4-2-3-1 gives you the opportunity to force the ball back to your team, back to those guys, and allow you to make some of those kind of changes that opponents are really trying to force you to not be able to make.
0: Well, and, and I'm also curious, too, just in general, uh, once they get all the guys healthy on the back line, is there's a 4-4-3 element to Gary Smith's game from time to time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and certainly if that's going to be a, a, some combination of Sapong, Leal, Mukhtar, and Loba... You yeah, can, you can you can sort of see them mixing and matching as yeah. somebody maybe gets hurt, as somebody needs a break, or whatever. Like there's there's a lot of opportunity with that formation as well. So and and again, his yeah. Gary Smith's formations are very malleable. Let's call them. How about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I do want to give a shout out to Jay Robinson because he asked a version of this of that question after we had already put together the mailbag part of the show. But um, certainly, I think as I just mentioned, the the formation is something that you can really kind of play around with and, and get what you want out of it.
0: That, that was the last free shout, okay, Tim. That is the last one. All right, we're on to the mailbag here. We've got a bunch of questions for you guys, and uh, we'll we'll get right to it because <laughs> we we've talked about this conversation uh, twice already on the show. So now let's actually have it. This is from John uh, Mueller. Uh, two jest questions and a serious one. How much is a plane ticket back to Portugal? Uh, it's about five hundred and seventy-five dollars or so. Uh, if you're interested, <laughs> um, what is Spanish for languid? Uh, and are there any lessons to be learned from this game, or should everyone just try to move on as fast as possible? Yeah, yeah you took care of the the Cotty's parts of, the, of that question. Probably not a not a popular
1: guy today. I think. Uh, He'll probably be on the bright side of fans as as soon as he scores again. But to move on to the serious question, I do think there's always something to learn from a game. Nashville really hadn't been hit in the mouth this year. Not in this fashion, at least. I guess the New York Red Bulls game was a potential exception, but that kind of carried a different characteristic because Red Bulls are a better team than than Miami is. And uh, I think the first uh, big road atmosphere for Nashville was something that they weren't used to. Those factors aren't really at play as we look at Sunday's game again. But now that they have been hit in the mouth, I think getting that sort of experience can really steal the resolve and eliminate some of the complacency that really did seem to be creeping into the mindset of this team. I was shy away from the, they needed to lose narratives. You know, when you look at UConn women's team, uh, basketball team, (laughs) if they lose the last regular season game of the year, it's like, okay, cool. They got it out of their way. Now there's no pressure through the tournament. I'm pretty sure the pressure's on them to win the tournament. No matter what, (laughs) I don't, I don't think you need to lose is always a thing because winning is better than losing. Basically. I think we can all agree upon that, but if the team bounces back from this, the lessons that they took in failure are important because while you don't want to lose, I think playing poorly and, and seeing how it can bite you is something that this team hadn't necessarily internalized quite yet.
0: To use a supremely American term, they needed a fire lit under their ass. That's <laughs> what they needed. <laughs> and you did it far more eloquently, of course, than, than I did. I'll just But I use
1: a lot more words, too. So...
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, this is from uh, John Jacobs as we continue talking about jander Cadiz. Do you buy Cadiz or not and why? Um, It kind of has a a second part question here. If a DP Mm -hmm. slot is open next season, what position do you target to strengthen this team? How about we just take these one at a time? Do you buy Cadiz or not, and why? And again, I think the conversation for me on this is if CJ Sapong and Ake Loba are going to be your two guys at the top of the formation, where where does Cadiz fit if he continues? And my issue also, sorry, this is my, uh, uh, there's going to be three rants on the show today. I, I, I know there's you have different types of strikers, right? Great with the ball at mm-hmm. their feet. Great with their back to the basket, a la a, 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 a post center in basketball. He just doesn't control the ball for, enough for me. Like He, he gets yeah. opportunities, and he just doesn't control the ball enough for me. And I see Ake Lo, Ake Loba just knock a dude off the ball on the end line, bring it back into play, and, mm-hmm. and create a perfect scoring opportunity. CJ Sapong is hot as any te- player on the team. We've already talked about it. Where's the place for him?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you raise a really good point there. My answer did change after the Miami game. I always have kind of thought that Cadiz gets a little worse reputation from Nashville fans than he deserves. People don't like him because they're expecting a a 6'4 guy to be something that Cotty's really isn't. He's a technical guy with his feet, not really a header threat. That's not what you expect based on what his – physique looks like so he's much more of an in behind technical player he does have that speed his production had always been solid so I think that's something that you know fans really needed to keep in mind when evaluating him but if he needs to start to find his way in a game he looks super uncomfortable coming off the bench the other night um, there are better options out there. And, and you mentioned one of them right there. I think not only Cadiz's struggle against Miami, but how good Loba looked kind of showed you, okay, we have the technical player. We have the guy who has the speed to get in behind on um, which I didn't, I, I did think Loba had some speed. He showed a little bit more than I thought, particularly on that specific play. You have a guy that basically is giving you what you thought you were going to get from Cotty's and you're locked in with him You're You're not as locked in with Caddis, whose loan expires at the end of the year. And, um, I had always said that extending his loan through the end of the year would be the right move. And now that I think we've seen enough evidence, I think in this off season, you have the opportunity to maybe move on from that because you can go out and find pieces that fit better. Now that you
0: have Loba who kind of provides the things that you were hoping to get from Cuddies. And it's not really even a knock on Cuddies necessarily. Mm-hmm. If, you go, if you go buy a $7 million transfer. <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah. Just he's going to get on there. Yeah. He's he's going to play. and And again, they don't do that if they didn't think they needed to. I I think Mike Jacobs Mm -hmm. has Mike Jacobs since the beginning, the very first second he got the job at a USL level, he has systematically approached his forward group by getting better every single acquisition. And I think every time he's gotten better, you know, that's what happens. Guys just get pushed down. And and so that's Mm -hmm. just, that's just kind of the way it is here. Bonus question here is we need a, a palate cleanser after watching that. So Tim (laughs) better game to play with the kids Shadowlands or keepy uppy. What are we, what is this?
1: I, I forgot to do uh, the research here. I have no idea what Shadowlands is. So by default, I'm going to say Keepy Uppy, which gives me another chance to shout out Bluey where there's an episode called Keepy Uppy where they play Keepy Uppy with balloons. It's like the, the soccer juggling game that you play okay. with your friends before. As as we so often do, especially when you are a guest on the show, uh, a shout out to Bluey. But yeah, Keepy Uppy yes. for me because I don't know what the other one
0: is. I don't know it either. I'm a parent of two small children. I have no clue what either of those are. But now that you've explained Keepy Uppy, my fr- I do we do the balloon thing all the time. You pull you blow up yeah. the balloon. Yeah, and the oldest daughter just runs around working on hand-eye coordination trying to get a scholarship. That's Yeah, so so
1: Shadowlands is apparently a, a Warcraft massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Unless totally. it's the so 1993 it's British biographical drama film about the relationship between academic <laughs> C.S. Lewis, played by Anthony Hopkins, and Jewish-American poet Joy Davidman, played by Deborah Winger. Which I don't <laughs> imagine is a game that people are asking if I want to play with my kids. So we'll go with
0: up up Anthony Hopkins played C.S. Lewis. Interesting. Uh, also... A <laughs> multiplayer Warcraft game is what you play with your kids like that? Yeah, that, yeah I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> Okie okay, dokie. Okay, okay, interesting. Uh, Keepy-uppy. That's fantastic. I love that. Uh, all right. Pancito. will we ever see Ake Loba and CJ Sapong playing together? Interesting question.
1: Yeah, I think what you see out of Ake Loba's minutes since he has come into this team is, is a very deliberate taper up in his amount of usage on the field. He gets closer to being 90-minute fit. He was in preseason with Monterey. He was not in the middle of a season like you might expect coming from a calendar like MLS. So um, you want him to at least be fit enough that you don't have to kind of pre-plan taking him off at like the 60-minute mark or whatever. So it's only a matter of time before he's a clear number two on a striker depth chart, I would say. CJ Sapong is... As long as he continues scoring, he is going to remain the number one guy on that depth chart. But if, if Lola becomes the number two, it's just a matter of finding a time where Gary Smith goes with two pure
0: strikers from the jump
1: with his top group.
0: Yeah, that'll be fun to watch. And I, th- I think him getting the opportunity to, to start against New England is one of those perfect chances where you know you're mm-hmm. kind of shorthanded. You know you're going to play a different style of game on the road against the best team. But you give him a chance that if something happens... And he can make a big play. He's got the skill to finish and maybe give mm-hmm. you a, point, a chance to steal one. So, again, Gary Smith knows what he's doing. Fantastic you know, distribution of his of his talent there, I thought, against New England. It, the strategy was sound going to Miami, mm-hmm. but we've already discussed the execution part of that. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Nathan asks, how do you teach a fan base patience? I've got my own thoughts <laughs> on this in just a minute. But but it's a, it's a really, you know, only two years into this franchise – uh, you know, but they've been good. Expectations have moved quickly for this club. So how do you teach a fan base patience? I, I don't have you ever.
1: Been yeah, I, I really, w- I really wish I knew uh, I've, I, co- I covered <laughs> Michigan football professionally. I currently cover Virginia Tech football professionally. Neither of those fan bases has has a particularly good grasp on patience. Um, obviously, this Nashville SC franchise is, is well ahead of any time that was reasonably expected for success when it launched. So things are going fairly well this season. But at the same time, it's, it's unfair to minimize the frustration that fans feel. They are the ones who kind of drive the whole train here. So um, it's important to contextualize that every team has some bad results here and there. Um, New York City FC uh, did not have a great week. We'll talk about that uh, during the outside-end portion of the show. But losing to Miami is still a bad result. That every team has bad results does not excuse it. The context works in both directions. Um, Nashville is still a good team, but I think fans are right to feel the frustration at least with Sunday's game if they you know if they it's where you spin it into saying because Sunday was a bad day i feel bad about this team kind of in the long term as a as a more holistic approach to feeling bad about the team or something like that is where you start to find the problems
0: yeah i, I think I, I think it was a terrible showing and fans have a right to be pissed off i i, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's any problem with that it, to suggest that one bad showing against miami is all of a sudden going to doom their playoff chances is just stupid like that's but that's mm-hmm. what fans do especially in in the NFL where it's so week to week, you, you know, the sky is falling and then you're going to win the championship yeah. the Sky is falling. And, you know, also it's fan is not short for rational or logical or reasonable fan is short for fanatic, uh, for a reason. And here's the other thing about this. This is national SC's fault for all the right reasons. National mm-hmm. SC has raised expectations exactly. for themselves. And what, what do you want as a franchise, as an athlete, as a coach, as a fan base, you want expectations. Otherwise there's no point. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's all a good, it's all a good thing that fans are a little pissed off by a bad showing. It's a good thing that there are expectations for this club already because they've done such a good job building those expectations. So it's all this, it, it's all good stuff to have expectations. It just means you got to deliver. And, and if you have fans that care, you're doing something right. Absolutely. I, and like I mentioned that, that bad results happen even to good
1: teams, does not necessarily excuse how Nashville played on Sunday, but it also doesn't doom the right. team. I think it, the passion of fans is is just as important, honestly, at times as, as the rational kind of cold-hearted view of, of their analysis of what happened To Yes,
0: no, no question. Uh, last one here. This one's from Tony. A lot of folks seem to be interested in Daniel Rios coming back. I've actually had a few questions from people asking about that, uh, but I feel like there's stuff we're not seeing that's preventing that. What is his status Has he simply fallen out of favor or is there lingering injury issues, Tim? Yeah, I
1: think the big thing to keep in mind is that he's a a pretty good example of how being healthy is different than being back to match fit. He hasn't been on the injury report, so he's available for selection uh, week after week and midweek after midweek, too, I guess. But you could fairly say that if he were fully healthy, he'd at least have made the bench with some consistency in recent weeks. Um, I've been out to training. He's been participating in training. He looks fine but actually being fit enough to make it into a game rather than get out and train with your teammates is a whole different level. And I think he's still slowly working back to that. Obviously people who have been following since the USL days know he's had semi-chronic issues with one of his feet Um, He's, he's still struggling through that a little bit. And I do think when he is fully healthy, he has the talent to get onto the field. I, I, I think most listeners know that I'm, I've been a huge Daniel Rios guy think he deserved more of a shot last year when he was healthy. And I do think
0: when he's fully healthy this year, he will get that shot. And he delivered last year when he had opportunities. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I, I agree. And I think understanding the difference between match fitness and sort of being on the injury report, the the subtleties and the nuance of the game also going to come up in just a second. So just, just keep that in mind in, in just a second. All right, from the outside in, here we go. Tim, Eastern Conference shakeup, all kinds of craziness happening in Eastern Conference right now.
1: Yeah, I alluded to a little bit of this in the mailbag, but Red Bulls drew FC Cincinnati and lost to Chicago. That takes Red Bull out of the playoff contention spots right now. New York City FC drew Chicago and Toronto. Orlando drew Miami and Cincinnati. And I'm I'm not here trying to say, look, keep a keep a more rational view of what Nashville did but it is important to keep in mind that that sort of stuff does put some context on what Nashville did. NSC didn't lose as much ground in the table as you might fear and this is a tough league everyone has bad results obviously you would prefer Nashville to take advantage of some of those bad results so that's something that obviously did not happen with the loss to Miami on Sunday night but um the boys in gold didn't lose as much ground as you might have as it might have felt like they were in store to do european seasons are getting going again the, the european offseason is like incredibly short especially in a pandemic year i guess but um, i'm not a massive consumer of specific euro leagues though regrettably most of the time i am a west ham fan i'm always a west ham fan it's just mostly regrettable um i do always try to watch u.s internationals on um, this upcoming season there are literally too many to keep tabs on at all times but that's a good thing for the future of the united states you have to be able to watch Bundesliga and French leagues and
0: all sorts of Italian uh, is becoming a big time league to watch lately too. Certainly there's been, it's been an extraordinary summer for, for us. I guess I would have to say men's soccer, um, mm-hmm. considering what happened in Tokyo, uh, to our girls, which we don't have to talk about. Um, but. Don't worry, Wes and I, and I, uh, oh, cried about it last week. I, I, know, I know, I know. Um, but to have the two wins over Mexico, to see the young talent. And I, and I think more importantly, how they won, how the young mm-hmm. players are winning to finish games in the final 10 minutes, the way they did in the Gold Cup, for example, against some quality competition, especially in the second and third and, and final rounds there. I, I think that 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 is so critical to the future of, of U.S. men's national team soccer, which I think is always should be our first and foremost focus when it comes to international stuff. I listen, I'll, I'll watch our stars play in other leagues I I haven't figured out how to love an EPL team yet <laughs> I just I haven't been to I haven't been to England so I don't know I know you know Wes is you know studied overseas and that's like how he fell in love with his with his squad mm-hmm. and I get that 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 makes sense to me I, I have I have Nashville SC for that you
1: know yeah um, you, so- you, you need one of these uh which Premier League team matches up with which SEC <laughs> team and run away from whichever one is tennessee at all costs. Yes, God.
0: <laughs> I listen, I'll watch Polisic and that's a, that's all I need, you know. That, that's that is all I need. Oh, one final note here before we get to the final whistle. Um just Lionel Messi changes teams for the first time in what? What is it? 17 years, 16 years, something like that. Um, yeah, he's
1: been he's been with Barca his entire career basically, even when he was a youth player. I think 23 years, 17 on the senior team. So it's an incredible, incredible length of
0: time. It's not crazy to just say like, I think he's the greatest soccer player in the history of the world. Right. Is that, is that crazy to say that?
1: No, I don't think so. I am a Barcelona fan. And a big part of that is because of Messi. but, Messi also embodies what Barcelona is supposed to be with this yoga Benita thing and all of of kind of this what makes the game beautiful. Um, I just looked him up and it's very sad to me that he is more than a year younger to me than me because I feel (laughs) like I feel like I grew up watching him play, but it was just a matter of he was the embodiment of what barcelona yeah. is supposed to be and unfortunately because of that he kind of took took too much of the spotlight and it caused barcelona to lose sight of some of the other important things and, and when it comes to building a, a team and building a club but um it's going to be
0: very very weird to see him playing with anyone other than barcelona in the future yeah that's it's very very strange do you get the sense that there are two groups of people like the Messi people and the ronaldo people is that it's, it's, yeah like oh yeah modern that's modern yeah Cause I, I just like, I, I completely love one and just definitely do not like the other one. I recognize the talent. I recognize the skill and the ability, mm-hmm. but there's like one of them I like hate watch and the other one I love watch. Does that, is that. Yeah. I,
1: I feel like that's,
0: I feel like that's a pretty common feeling <laughs> in modern
1: soccer, particularly among the people who are messy partisans probably are more likely to hate watch the other one than the Ronaldo partisans <laughs> hate watching Messi. maybe, but yeah, I, it, the two guys couldn't be more different in a lot of ways. Ronaldo's just a pure power uh, sort of player. Messi's a, a true artiste on the field. Uh, Ronaldo seeks attention off the field. Messi could not want less attention, I don't think. So its it's been an interesting contrast. And for two of the greatest players of all time to be playing... Basically, they were rivals for, for most of their careers and playing at the yeah. same time in, in that regard, just at all is is something that we were incredibly lucky to see. And hopefully there's a few more good years out of Messi wherever
0: he ends up. Yeah, hopefully is right. All right. Time for the final whistle. All right. Final whistle. Since we have you on the show this week, Braden, yeah, okay.
1: I think I think we would be remiss not to let you go off on something that that you feel <laughs> very passionately about. So let's hear it.
0: Well, you asked that we, we were asked in the mailbag about patience for fans. I think that there probably needs to be some patience with media as well, right? Like mm-hmm. for, for for those that are diehard fans of this game and have been for quite some time, it's it's on you guys to sort of be responsible to bring more people in, be more arms open about the language and the approach, and sort of giving people time and space to find their way into the game so that they can kind of fall in love with Nashville SC the way all of us have, right? And, and I think that's, that's, that's important for fans, for your, for your friends, you're trying to convince to join in and, you know, do all this stuff. But I think it's also important to give some of the media some space as well, because some of you guys, and largely my message here is don't take the bait, some, <laughs> some media are just going to take a long time to adapt and they're just, they just maybe don't like the game, right? That, that's one type of person. Then there's people that are trying to like the game and want to be interested in the game, but are doing stuff to rally you up and saying things to rally you up because that is what they do for a living. And so, when somebody says something that's maybe ill-informed or or doesn't quite understand how the game works, or you know, again, it it takes all of us in our own time to sort of understand all this stuff. Don't just don't take the bait on it. Just 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 don't take the bait. If somebody says something just ridiculously stupid. You can either say, hey, I'm going to try to welcome you into the community and give you some pointers on this, or you can take the bait and and devolve into a Twitter argument with people that intentionally have Twitter arguments for a living. So I I just think having some patience with not only your media in this market to grow and more as more and more people talk about the game and the team, Mm -hmm. appreciate the game and the team, we as media will get better in how we discuss the team and how we cover the team. It takes us some time, too. Um, and so I think there's be, – be patient with us as well, and I know the good ones are going to work their ass off to, to give you great – possible as, as good a possible coverage as we can. Like me, for example, right now. I'm not as good as Wes, but, I'm, but I, I love the team. You're grinding, though. You're grinding. I'm grinding, right. Exactly. It, I, I also don't, like, try to rile you up on Twitter with stuff. Mm-hmm. I do that to college yeah. football fans. so, so. <laughs> So just uh, don't take the bait and, and let the media come to you because if you're listening to this show, you're probably already more informed than half the media in this market. So
1: yeah, and I think one thing one thing to take home with that is if you are interacting with somebody who you think is acting in bad faith, for example, to get kind of those rage responses, don't don't feed the troll by by reacting with vitriol. Be, say, be a good citizen of, of the Nashville yeah. nationality community and, and yeah. act, act as though you' you want to inform people. It's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's not always easy to do. I, at times get frustrated, get frustrated and act and act that way as well. But, um, I think what everyone can agree is that we, we all want the best for the Nashville market. We want the Nashville citizen to look like a, like a smart consumer of a soccer and an MLS product and, um, doing your part to to help people and, and kind of not assume the worst out of, out of
0: potential bad faith actors is a good way to do that. Also, if you see something stupid on Twitter, you don't have to share it. <laughs> you know, just that, unless that, unless
1: unless it's a classic West Bowling Tim Sullivan pun, <laughs> then you absolutely have to share it. But that's not stupid. That's just that's I have no pretense, I have no pretense of it not being stupid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, again, like, and I'm not even just talking about soccer coverage and kind of mm-hmm. silly questions about soccer. I'm saying in general, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's not a bad rule on Twitter. If you see something stupid, just let it go. Just let it just fly through the ether and and in one ear and out the other. And I guarantee you you're, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. All right. What do you, you got a bold prediction for us here for DC United, Tim?
1: I absolutely do. Uh it's a semi bold prediction, I guess we could say. I think Nashville really bounces back after a pretty disappointing game against Miami being taken out of their game and they win the xg differential over dc united by a pretty wide margin and that's as i mentioned previously against a team that makes it really tough to beat them by a big xg margins because this is a very good team and generating chances and preventing the opponents from getting chances the catch is Despite an XG advantage, I don't know if Nashville SC is going to win. I don't know if Nashville SC is going to draw or potentially even lose. We've seen finishing make the difference in a few games this year. Obviously, the first few games of the season at home, Nashville ran up huge XG advantages and still managed to only get draws. So um, that's a different question, but I do think Nashville will really control the game against DC on Sunday.
0: You you said you don't know if they're going to win. You don't know if they're going to draw. You don't know if they're going to lose. I will go out on a limb, and I say well, they will do one of those three things. We'll do hot take. We're just those, loaded with hot takes today. One of those three things will, in fact, happen this Sunday, 6 p.m. Nissan Stadium. Go check out the boys in gold, of course, uh, against D.C. United, back at home against Nissan Stadium. Not too many of them left on the schedule uh, here at home. Tim, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you, my friend. Oh, it's been very good to have... To kind of have you host
1: me a little bit at times, even yeah. though even though you're the guest, it's a it's a it's a good dynamic, I think.
0: Well you're you're the expert. I'm just here to make you look good. That's my role. Uh, that's, thanks, t- that's tough. That's tough. Special thanks to Moon Taxi. Well, you got a haircut, so it's okay. Special thanks to Moon Taxi for making us sound good, ESPN 949 for making us sound good as well. Make sure you check out the website, clubandcountryusa.com. Where can people follow you, Tim?
1: At Club Country USA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook all those places follow Wes as well, even though he's not here
0: uh, at West bowling TN. There you have it. You can follow me at Braden gall. Of course, special thanks to everyone listening. We do appreciate it. Please share the product with another soccer fan or maybe a not soccer fan or a total stranger. Just tell them to check out club and country, the podcast. It is the podcast of record covering Nashville SC. Please rate, review, subscribe, do all that great stuff. My name is Braden gall. He is Tim Sullivan. Thank you all for listening. This has been club and country on the 440 sports network.
1: And thanks to Soccer Moses for the haircut that Braden gave a shout out to.